How to Play, Episode C, Game Quiz. Hello, everybody. This is Ryan Stern from the How to Play podcast, coming to you from Western New York. This episode is recorded on March 14th, 2010. Now, today we're going to do something a little bit different. I am a huge fan of game shows. I love game shows, Jeopardy, trivia, that sort of thing. So who wouldn't love a little trivia show on games? So that's what we're going to do here today. I hope that's something that sounds fun to you. If you haven't listened to the show before, this isn't typically what we do here. I usually take a complex game and break it down into how to teach the game, which you can use either to learn the game yourself or to learn how to teach a complex game. We've had some good episodes recently, Brass, Reef Encounter, so go back into the catalog and check those out and subscribe to us on iTunes. Also, if you have missed any episodes yet, Shame on you. You're going to want to go back and listen to those immediately because your knowledge from those episodes is going to be critical on this game quiz. So I had a lot of fun figuring out how to design a game quiz from the games on the How to Play podcast. Now, you don't have to have listened to the the episodes in order to participate. If you know at least some of the games, you're going to have some fun trying to answer these questions. I've tried to set it up so that most people will have at least a couple questions at their right challenge level. I think quizzes like this are the most fun when they're at that point where you just have to struggle to try to remember a certain thing, or you can figure something something out, you know, given a few seconds. So that's what I'm trying to do here. So there will be 12 rounds in this game quiz. Each round will cover one of the major episodes of How to Play, 1 through 12. There's going to be five questions for each game covered by this podcast. Those games are Ticket to Ride, Teach You, Agricola, Age of Steam, Tigris and Euphrates, Stone Age, Puerto Rico, Crayon Rails, Brass, Age of Empires, Abstract Games, and Reef Encounter. For each of those games, like I said, there'll be five questions of a variety of difficulty. The first two questions will be relatively easy. People vaguely familiar with the game, if you've played it once or twice, you should be able to remember these. The third question will be what I call a listener loyalty question. And in that case, I'm going to pull something from the episode to see if you remember or if you heard that little bit. Questions four and five will be the challenge questions, and the fifth one is going to be particularly nasty. These questions are going to be a challenge, hopefully, for even people who are very familiar with the game. So what are the questions going to be on? They'll be on rules, they might be on components of the game, or even related games. That third question, like I said, will be a show-related question. So if you haven't listened to a lot of how to play, you may choose to just skip that question and not worry about it. So scoring, if you're going to keep track at home your score, I put together a little spreadsheet as a score sheet if you want to print that out and have fun and and check each time you get a question right. Otherwise, just keep track in your head. There will be 60 questions, like I said. Each question is an equal one point. Easy challenge. They're all worth one point. There's five per round, 12 games, 5 times 12, 60 possible points. If you want to count out those listener loyalty questions because you don't listen to a lot of the show, you can put your maximum score at 48. If you want to get those score sheets, like I said, you can get them from the website or I'll have a link for it at the Guild. Here are the rules for the How to Play Game Quiz. 
This quiz is intended to test. Don't laugh at me. This quiz is intested, intested, intended to test the knowledge in your head, not your research abilities. So if you'd like to pause your iPod, give yourself a little bit extra time to think, that is allowed. Google searching, checking out your map boards, your game rules, those sorts of things are not allowed. The only thing that you'll have to know that you broke the rules is your guilty, guilty conscience. And who could live with that? There's those short snippets in between each question. Uh, They're not the most polished of guitar material, but uh, I thought it was better than just dead air. So if you hear that music ending and me start talking, you may want to hit that pause button if you need a little extra time to think. If you'd like to, you can take your total score, you figure out your total score, and post that score on the guild on how you did, and compare with fellow guild members. If you're not a member of the guild, well, then you can't post your score there, can you? So you better go and join 123 of your new best friends. Now, here's a note, unless otherwise noted, all questions will refer to a standard version of the game in question, with standard rules in place and no advanced rules, and without expansions. So keep that in mind as you answer the questions. These questions have been relatively poorly researched, some coming directly from my own brain, but a lot of them I you know, scoured around on BoardGameGeek, looked at the game boards to try to come up with some interesting questions. So. To my knowledge, all answers are as correct as possible. If you note any mistakes, post a note on the guild and I will award you an additional point for your quiz. One last note before we get into the quiz, a very exciting announcement. We have micro badges for how to play now. It's a really nice micro badge. It says HTP. I think it's very attractive. You'd be proud to own that. And it's just another great way to show your support for the show. Currently, we uh, don't have very many owners of that. So I'm assuming it's just because you didn't know about these great micro badges. So head over to the guild and you'll be able to find a link for purchasing them. Just eight measly geek gold and you'll have yourself one of those beautiful micro badges. I also set up an email address if you want to contact me directly. The email address for the show is howtoplaypodcast at msn.com. So if you want to send me a direct email, uh, like something about sending me free stuff, that's the place to do it. All right, I've got 60 questions ready to go here for you. Are you ready? Let's do it. Round one, take it to ride. Question one. You have three options during a turn in the game of Ticket to Ride. What are they? Three options. You can pick up train cards. You can lay trains, uh, claiming a route. Or you can pick up destination tickets. You get that one? Okay. Question two. On the cover of the box, there are different colored characters. One of the characters is a little boy. What color is the outfit of the little boy? Green. The little boy has a green outfit on. The old man's purple, the girls are red and yellow, and then the mustache top hatty guy is blue. Question number three. 
in teaching Ticket to Ride and all of these games, what are the three steps I recommend using in order to teach the game? That, of course, would be the hook, the meat, and the hamster. If you listen to one episode of How to Play, you should be familiar with those terms. Question number four. Not counting the extra trains included with the game, how many train pieces come in the box in Ticket to Ride? Well, there are 45 trains per player. Like I said, not counting the extra trains. And so 45 times five is 225. That was your first challenge question. How'd you do? Good. And the last question. How many six routes are on the standard US map of Ticket to Ride? That is how many routes require six cards in order to claim? Good luck. There are the two at the top to head you out to Seattle. There are three that go across the middle of the board, yellow, orange, and purple. There's the blue one over on the west coast, and then the bottom has black, green, and red, um, going from Miami all the way over to Los Angeles. And so there are nine six routes. Round two, teach you. In teach you. It's a standard deck of cards, pretty much. And then there are four special cards. Name the four special cards. The four special cards are the dog, the dragon, the phoenix, and the mahjong. If you couldn't answer that one, you've probably never played teaching. Question two. Explain a standard passing convention. Or how is a passing convention used? Passing convention helps you so you don't pass the same card to one of your opponents. So a pretty common one is to pass your lowest even card to the right, your lowest odd card to the left, and so on. Question number three, give the name of one of my neighbors. Well, they are Doug and Michelle, of course, and they were opponents in the sample teach you game of that episode. Kudos to you if you remembered that. I don't know if that's, that's a good thing, but you know who my neighbors are. Question number four. Doug and Ryan's cards that score at the end of the round are two kings, a ten, a five, the dragon, and the phoenix. What is Kristen and Michelle's score, our opponents? Again, the boys have a king, a king, a ten, and a five, the dragon, and the phoenix. How many points, then, would their opponents have, assuming they have all the other points?
Well, King King 10-5, that is 35 points. The Dragon and the Phoenix cancel each other out. So their opponents would have 65 points. It's usually, the two scores usually add up to 100. Those challenge questions, they're tough. Finally, super challenge question number five. Which Jack is burying his nipples for you to see? up. The jack, who I like to call sags, is the green olives jack. So if you said green, you've got it correct. Let's move on. Round number three. Agricola. Question number one. Name the four building resources in Agricola. Four building resources are wood, clay, stone, and reeds. Question number two. In what circumstance do you only have to pay one food for a family member? Well, if you just made that baby, we call it a baby, if you made another family member, taking the family growth action that round before the harvest, then they only eat one food instead of two. Question number three. According to the hamster, what are the two main paths for food production in this game? So I'm looking for two strategic paths for getting food. And those two strategic paths would be trying to bake bread or trying to raise animals and then get a fireplace or something to cook them up and eat them. Challenge questions. Question number four. Be careful now. Could get tricky. What is the least number of actions that it takes to bake a loaf of bread? Assuming you have no resources and we're playing without occupation cards or minor improvements that could change this. This is also a four player game in case it matters. The answer is actually four. On the first turn of the game, you would get the grain and get the stone. You'd have to be playing in a four-player game so that stone was available this early. And then the second turn, you'd have to hope that the clay floated around so that there was four clay on there, so that with your second action of the second turn, you could go on major improvement, assuming that major improvement came up as one of the first two cards, and then when you take the major improvement, you can bake. Ta-da! You baked in four actions. Way to go. So this is not a good strategic move, but theoretically it does work. You can just take a seed and, and bake it up. Now, in theory, you would want to plow it, get more grain, and so on. But the question was, how many actions does it take to bake a loaf of bread? All right, the dreaded question five. Let's do it. Question five. Technically speaking, what is the maximum capacity of a pasture of animals for a player in Agricola? I'll give you some time on this one.
the biggest fence you can make, according to my calculations, with 15 fences, is you can make a three by four grid, which would hold, which is 12 squares. So you have 12 squares. Each square is allowed to hold two animals, so you're at 24 animals. And if you put a stable in there, of course, you can double that capacity. So the correct answer, ignoring for the fact that there aren't that many pieces in the game, is 48. You could build a pasture that would have a capacity of 48. Round four, Age of Steam. Okay, question number one. Easy questions. What's the farthest a good can travel in most Age of Steam maps, including the base map? In base Age of Steam, the maximum engine level is six, so the farthest a good can travel is six cities. Question number two. How do you determine how much money you receive or have to pay at the end of a round? Well, you take your income level and you subtract your expenses, where your expenses are your shares plus your engine level. Question number three, listener loyalty question. In the first classic comedy bit of From How to Play, what interrupts Ryan's podcast recording? Well, there's a phone call from a lawyer telling me that I can't use some of those terms because that was hilarious because of all the legal issues going around with the game at the time. Challenge question, starting with question number four. What is the tiebreaker in the game of Age of Steam? Trick question. There is no tiebreaker in Age of Steam, and it's certainly not money. Money is not valuable for anything at the end of the game. I think that's a commonly misplayed rule. Question number five. Here we go, the evil one. In a standard game of Age of Steam, for example, using the base map or the rust belt, how many goods are placed on the goods display? cities are six cities, three goods each, that's 18. The black cities are six cities, three goods each, that's 18. And then there are eight new cities, each with two goods, so that's 16 more. So we have 18 plus 18 plus 16. So the correct answer is 52. 52 goods get placed on the goods display. Round five, Tigris and Euphrates. Question number one. 
How do you decide who wins a game of Tigris and Euphrates? Well, the rule is the most of the least. There's four different colors of cubes. Whoever has the most of their least number of colored cubes, let's say I had seven black, six red, six blue, and five green, my score would be five, because that's the most of the least for me. Question two, what are the four options of things you can do as actions on a turn in the game of Tigris and Euphrates? Well, you can play or move a leader, you can play a tile, you can play a catastrophe tile, or you can swap your tiles. Question number three, listener loyalty question. My favorite ones here. According to how to play, what is the name of the god who the red temples are being built for? Being built for the great god Ketchup. Of course, praise the great god Ketchup. That's why he's red, obviously. Um, question number four. Name three reasons why you cannot lay a catastrophe tile onto a square. Well, it could have a leader on it. You can't play a tile with a leader on it. Uh, treasure, if there's a treasure on it, or if it's part of a monument, you're not allowed to play a catastrophe tile there. Question number five, similar question. Give me three reasons why you could not play a leader onto an empty square. Well, if it was in a river, you can't play leader in a river. Maybe there is an adjacent temple. You have to have a temple. And you may not lay a leader to connect two kingdoms. Those are the three reasons. River, no adjacent temple, or connect two kingdoms. Round six, Stone Age. Question number one. What are the five different resources you can acquire in Stone Age? Well, there's wood, brick, stone, gold, and of course food. Question number two. There are those special cards I call caveman Christmas cards where you roll the dice and everybody gets something. Let's say someone took one of those caveman Christmas cards and rolled six, five, three, two in a four-player game. What four choices would you have for your gift? Six, five, three, two. Six is food production, or a farm, I like to call it. Five is tool, three would be stone, and two is brick. Question number three, listener loyalty question. What is the name of the song that Booga the Caveman sings on his acoustic guitar to woo the ladies? Here's a hint. The name of the song 
is the only lyric in the song. That song, you're getting a little taste of it right now, is called Cave Girl. Beautiful, beautiful song. Question number four. Exactly what happens to you if you don't have enough food at the end of a round? Well, you have to pay all the food that you can. And then if you want to, you can pay resources, but you don't have to. One food equals one resource. And if your workers don't get enough food, you get a 10 point penalty and you can go negative. Question number five. This is a hard one. What is the tiebreaker in Stone Age? And I'll give you a hint. It's not a trick question. There actually is a tiebreaker this time. tiebreaker is you add your farms or your food production plus your number of tools plus how many people are in your tribe and that total is your tiebreaker number. If you got that one, I'm pretty impressed. Round 7, Puerto Rico. Question 1. What's the name of the building that gives you money when you produce different kinds of goods? For example, if you manage to produce all five different kinds of goods, when someone takes the craftsman to produce, you earn five money. Which building does that? That's the factory, and it's very powerful and a good one to get. Question number two. Name all eight roll cards that would be out and available for a five-player game. Well, they would be the craftsman, the mayor, the settler, the builder, the captain, the trader, the prospector, and another prospector, because it's an eight-player game. Question number three. What do I like to call the mayor? for historical accuracy. What name do I like to give the mayor? I like to call it the slaver, as these tokens are pretty thinly disguised as slaves that are doing the work on these sugar and tobacco plantations. Question number four. Get into the good ones now. Without any money, any doubloons being on the trader card, what's the maximum amount of doubloons you can earn from a trader with a single sale? Well, obviously you want to sell coffee. Coffee's worth four. Plus, if you have the large market and the small market, that's two plus one, that's three more dollars. Plus, if you took the trader, you'd get one for the trader bonus. So that would be four plus three plus one, giving you a 
eight doubloons sale. Question number five. What is the maximum amount of victory points you could get from the city hall? Well, you could get 15. If you had the building, it's worth four by itself, and you have it occupied, the city hall gives you a point for every purple building that you have. Theoretically, you could have 11 purple buildings. The city hall takes up two slots. There are 11 different ones. It would be very hard because you wouldn't have any production buildings. Uh, I'm not really sure how you would pull that off, but if all the other players were completely incompetent and let you do pretty much whatever you wanted to, um, you could theoretically get 15 points from the city hall. Round eight, crayon rails. Question one. What are the usual requirements for winning a game of crayon rails? Well, the magic number is always 250. Usually it's called million, might be rupees or yen. And then you need to connect into all or all minus one of the major cities on the map. Question number two, what are the traditional six colors of crayons that come in a standard game of crayon rails? Well, that would be blue, red, yellow, green, brown, and black. Some of the maps designed for fewer players might come with less, but most traditional maps have all six of those. Question number three. According to how to play, and most other people, what is the best readily available Mayfair produced map for the Crayon Rails series? Euro Rails. Euro Rails is, is one of the most popular and, and well-regarded maps in the series. Question four. What three continents do not have any Mayfair published games that cover any part of their land with those beautiful dots and mountains for any of the Crayon Rail series games? Which three continents do not have any part of their land covered by a Mayfair Crayon Rails game? be South America, Africa, and Antarctica. Though different versions have been created for South America and Africa, they aren't readily available as published maps. There is, of course, North American Rails, otherwise known as Empire Builder, Euro Rails. Uh, in Asia, there's both China Rails and Russian Rails, as well as India Rails, I suppose. And, there's an and then lastly, of course, Australia Rails has its own map. All right, question number five. This is a real difficult one, but you can at least take a good guess. I did a little research, and there is one good that is found on all 15 published and semi-published maps, including Germany and Africa. Think about which good is found 
on every map, even Iron Dragon. Fish, fish, even um, Martian rails and lunar rails has fish, believe it or not. Round nine, brass. This is like the opera round of the game quiz. Tough one. Question number one. What are the two major ways to gain victory points in the game of brass? Well, you can flip tiles over, and they all have different conditions for doing that, of course. And you can build links to tiles that have been flipped over. Those are worth victory points during scoring rounds. Question two. What is the difference between location cards and picture cards? Well, location cards let you play wherever, and the picture cards they have to be in your network. You have to be connected to them by canals or rails. Question number three, listener loyalty question. I love this question. According to how to play, what does Sloth love? Sloth love income. You know, he flipped over those cotton mills and he got so excited. Question number four. Which two types of industries are you allowed to build over of opponents? And what are the two circumstances which have to be in place to allow you to do so? So the two types of industries you're allowed to build over of your opponents and what two things have to be in place for you to do that? Well, you can build over iron and coal mines um, if the demand track is completely empty and you're replacing it with a higher tech level. Question number five. This is what it had to be. What does the virtual link actually do? is it allows you to be connected to the other city across the virtual link for purposes of building another tile by using an industry picture card. You can't sell cotton across it. You can't transport goods across it. You need another way to bring coal there. Someone would have to have a link into the other side if you were building a ship, for example. But it does count as being in your network for playing cards to build tiles. Round 10, Age of Empires. Question one, what are the five different kinds of pieces in Age of Empires? There is the colonist, the missionary, the captain, the merchant, and the soldier. Question number two, 
you have four sugar tiles, three rice tiles, a cattle, a fur, and no merchant ships. How much income do you earn at the end of the turn? Okay, again, you have four sugar tiles, three rice tiles, a cattle, and a fur. Well, four of a kind brings in six. Three of a kind brings in three. And then you have two left over, which is none. So you have six plus three. You're nine income for that turn. Question number three. Which worldwide celebrity did I claim to have accomplished more than in this episode? Uh, that would be David Beckham. I think I said take that, Beckham. Question number four. How many regions are in the new world in this game? there are nine different regions. Question number five is the hardest one. The five different figures in the game are holding various objects in their hands. Name the eight objects carried by those five different figures in the game. I'll give you some extra time for this one. The eight objects are an axe, a bundle of logs, a Bible, a cross, a gun, a telescope, a money bag, and whatever the merchant has in his other hand. I think it's a walking stick, but you might also say it's a cane or a sword. Round 11, abstracts. Question number one. What's the maximum amount of points you can get for scoring a single line in the game Take It Easy? That'd be 45. You can get five in a row of the nine pointers, and so five times nine is 45. Question number two. In Hive, you have to play your queen bee piece by which piece that you play on the board? You have to lay it by the fourth piece. Question number three. In the game Blocus, which favorite word of mine describes the way in which you're not able to play pieces of your own type adjacent to each other? It's a specific word. Orthogonal. Orthogonally adjacent. You cannot play pieces orthogonally adjacent. Question number four. Yinch. Yinch is a game from the GIF project, which you have to say YINCH because it's in all capital letters. Um, other than YINCH and GIF, there are four other games in the series. See if you can name those four other games. Four other official games are Czar, Zertz, Devon, and Punkt. The uh, last game, I believe, was co-designed with Ashton Kutcher. It's said to be a real brain burner. Uh, another game from the GIF series is Tamsk. It's no longer an official game because all the GIF 
um, officials. They all wear cloaks and and belts and oversized sandals. They got together and white smoke came out and meant that Tamsk is no longer an official game in the project. But if you said Tamsk, I'll give it to you anyway, all right? Question number five. I got especially evil on this one. Let's see how well you know the tiles in the game Uptown. I'll give you three questions. Each one of them is worth a third of the point. How many musical notes are coming out of the saxophone tile in the game Uptown? Got it? There are three. Three notes. Specifically, they're eighth notes, but if you said three, I'll give it to you. Next one. There are cards on one of the tiles. There are two cards. What specific cards are on the tiles? There are two cards. Tell me the rank and suit, please. It is the Jack and Ace of Spades. And lastly, what avenue is indicated on the street sign tile? Second Avenue, Second Avenue. So you could have a fractional score now. I hope that doesn't mess up your counting. Let's move on to the final round. Round 12, Reef Encounter. Question one, it's the final round. So last chance, let's do it. Question number one, which component of the game is used for flipping and locking down those coral tiles, what I call coral strength tiles? called algae cylinders. Question number two. When you eat a coral in this game, what happens to the polyp tiles? Well, four of them go back in the bag, unless it's the last turn of the game. We'll assume it's a normal one. Four of them go back in the bag, and the others go in your parrotfish for scoring. Question number three. According to How to Play, what is one of the saddest moments in the Disney classic, The Little Mermaid? Well, if you listen to those last seconds, you would have learned and you know, reminisced about King Triton being transformed into sad, small, seaweed, green, sad King Triton with his crown falling down around him. Question number four. Name the three different possible actions during your turn that use consumed tiles. The three different actions that use consumed tiles. You can use them to play tiles to the board, using them sort of as extra tiles. You can exchange consumed tiles for a larva cube, or you can use them to get an algae cylinder to flip or lock down some of the coral tiles. And finally, last question of the whole how to play quiz. Ready? Question five. How do you know how many polyp tiles go into a section of the deep seaboard once someone takes one of the sections. So there's one, two, or three tiles go there. How do you know how many tiles to put onto that deep seaboard? Mm -hmm. 
Now the rule is you count how many of those five sections have less than three tiles, and that is how many tiles it gets. All right, that's it. That's the whole quiz. Hopefully you were keeping tally on a piece of paper somewhere or keeping a tally in your head. And so you've got that score. And you can tell us how you did and what you thought about the quiz and any questions that were unclear or mistakes that I've made uh, up there at the Guild. Let me know what you thought of the episode. If you liked it, and I'll do it again after episode 24. That might be a little while. You may notice that the, this episode took a little bit longer to get out. Um, Gwen takes up a lot of my time. But How to Play is still alive and well. There's still a lot of episodes that I want to get out there. So episode 13 is coming up next time. We're back to the usual format. What game it will be is still a mystery. So stay subscribed there on iTunes or go subscribe if you haven't so you don't miss it. If you like these podcasts and you're waiting for the next one, there's an, a podcast before me that came out, uh, Snooze Fest. He actually sent me an email. He said, hey, I was doing this long before you were. And he is right. He was. So if you want to check out his podcast, Snooze Fest Splains Games, look for that up on iTunes. So join the guild. Buy one of those micro badges. Um, you may wish to donate to the show. And I hope you keep learning new games, playing games, and having fun. I'll see you next time. This has been Ryan Sturm for the How to Play podcast. Mm-hmm.